Welcome to The Gray Report. I'm your host, Spencer Gray, and every week on The Gray Report, we are covering all of the latest research reports, data sets, articles, and giving you some original opinions revolving the multifamily industry, real estate, and the economy. We've got some really interesting pieces today, one from the National Bureau of Economic Research talking about a changing of trend of fertility rates and the birth rates in the United States, as well as a piece from ProPublica taking almost a hack job on Yieldstar in RealPage's lease rent optimization, revenue management um, algorithm and software. Um, and then a piece from the New York Times, uh, all about the rent revolution is coming. Politics meets the multifamily industry. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Gray Report. Joined again by our co-host, Director of Communication and Marketing here at Gray Capital, Matt Bosnoggle. Matt, how's your week going? Going pretty great, actually. We've got a really interesting three sets of reports um, on the Gray Report today. We've been we've been talking about them all week. Came out recently. These first two pieces that kind of dovetail, and a lot of it's politics and multifamily industry, real estate. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know you know rents are up. I mean, we, we're seeing in the headlines, yeah. but you know, price of everything are up. Mm-hmm. Right. And so a lot of times this this uh, debate is more fueled by emotion rather than, you know, kind yeah. of logic and economics. So we're going to try to see uh, what we can find in the middle and see kind of what is on the pulse mm-hmm. of everyday Americans, because just because uh, a policy doesn't make sense economically, um, we're going to have unintended consequences. That doesn't mean that the public doesn't think they want to see it. And it's not they think it's a good idea, yeah. even though it doesn't may, may not achieve the goals that they are looking to achieve. Mm-hmm. So really fascinating. And, and again, so just the ProPublica piece, New York Times piece, they really dovetail with each other well. But man, it, it's been a it's been a really interesting couple of weeks um, and yeah. months, um, multifamily industry, debt markets, the economy. You know, are, are we in a recession? <laughs> I, I, I think I can I just say like, like, like we're in a recession, right? I, right? I've been I've been prepping myself for this. OK, I think I'm ready. We are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's OK. That's a really good point. The people kind of are are searching around for what's the cause of their pain. Yeah. And depending on what information that you have, maybe it is rents. May, and depending on your own experience, there are some people that are really pressed for rents. But then this is also a period in which rents are declining, whether it's seasonal or or yeah. some kind of you know reaction to the extreme growth that we had in 2021. But like it's not a linear thing. Depending on where you look. And and who you are, you're you've got a completely different thing. Maybe you know, maybe you drive a lot, and gas prices are what you're or what you're really worrying about. But yeah. there's a lot of things, a lot of solutions out there. Maybe not all of them are the best ones. But you know what? On both sides of the aisle, there are wrong things people are saying. There are right things people are saying, and there are some understood. I think that there's an understood solution to a lot of the housing. I think there is. I think some of it's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of times you're talking about public policy. Mm-hmm. You know, this, the obvious solution is one that, that is just, again, like the public, they just can't stomach. The reality is, you know, people are upset. Prices are high and people want solutions. And often people go to the government to say, fix this. I mean, it happened um, back in the 70s when we all last time we saw quite a lot of inflation in the form of uh, price controls. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of figured out price controls don't really work. And in general, when the federal government kind of gets involved into markets and private markets, they can can really dislocate um, and misprice things. And it doesn't it, it can have it can feel good mm-hmm. um, in the, like the, in the now, but in the long term, it can really mess things up. And what we're dealing with post covid 
all, a lot of these problems are because of kind of overreaching from um, central banks and central governments. Another example that we're taught we've, that we've heard very recently, it was just announced by the White House, mm-hmm. is this kind of meddling with the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Oh, yeah. And you know, we've released uh, millions of barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve as energy prices have increased, trying to, you know, combat inflation, although it does the opposite because we know, you know, the cure for high prices is high prices and we yeah. need the high prices to actually create the demand to destruction, bringing, releasing the reserve, bringing the prices down, allows people to buy more gas. Mm-hmm. You know, what, then, then what's going to happen? People, demand stays the same, you know, prices are going to stay elevated. And they announced recently that, you know, the, they, they've, we've signaled that they're going to do another release for this from the strategic petroleum reserve, even though prices have gone down significantly. Mm-hmm. It's mostly politics ahead of the midterm yeah. election. And then they've announced that they're going to start buying again you know, when the price is in the 67 to $72 per barrel range. Mm. And it's like, is the White House and the federal government, are we, you know, entering into the commodities trading business, essentially? And how do they, how does the federal government determine, you know, the ideal price that we should be filling at the Strategic Petroleum Reserve? In the fact that the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is supposed to be for emergencies, yeah. not as a economic tool to, you know, to you know, to help um, increase or decrease inflation. Yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> to me, it seems to boil down to uh, this this mix of the economists and the and the politicians, or at least maybe the politicians thinking maybe that they're the economists. well, yeah, the politicians playing economists. And you know, what's good for politics may not necessarily be good for the economy. And how much more money got pumped into the system and created excess um, demand that accelerated inflation and eroded the purchasing power of so many individuals all of this um because these are all things that are can be concerning from a you know an individual's perspective and in you know macro perspective a lot of these are the reasons why we invest in apartments to mm-hmm. begin with for situations like this because of how well apartments perform in these types of inflationary environments um but you know certainly you know the two things that can really screw up the multifamily investment thesis we're talking about them today Matt yeah it's public policy public intervention government mm-hmm. intervention and then it's it's birth rates and population growth yeah. you know really a lot of that what's been missing is immigration mm-hmm. you know and which is a part of the conversation because there's only so much that we can do about birth rates in mm-hmm. the United States yeah Immigration is a policy that the government could affect and allow for some more immigration because we need the workforce. We have a major you know, labor shortage right now and yep. people want to come here to work. It seems to make sense for me. You make sure people aren't criminals and they want to, they're, they're here. They say who they are. We can figure yep. out who's here. You want to work, just you know, come on in. Let, let's get people to work. Yep. Um, birth rates are a hard thing. The government can't just, I mean, maybe in China they, they can try, but and here in the United States, it's hard to tell people to have yeah. kids or not have kids. Well, I think I think about in Japan too. They have all these like programs and stuff. It's yeah, like, this is the data Being incentivized. But like, yeah. I mean, how much? I mean, you know, how much yeah. can you really? I mean, you, tax credits and all that. But like, I don't know. That's a lot to have a yeah, have it, a bring a human being into the world. And and as we'll get to, it's a it's a little bit mysterious. What uh what are what are the situations in which people are going to have more kids? Um, they used to think it was recessions. People would pull back, but maybe not this time. So we'll see. It probably was for a while, and people just they, yeah. they gave up. They're like, screw it. Yeah, screw yeah. it. If I, <laughs> I want to have a kid, I'm going to have a kid. Yeah, that seems. So we'll, we're going to get to that piece in a little bit. But again, today it's interesting because we're talking about mm-hmm. major, major drivers. Yeah. of investment. But first, let's talk about political inve- intervention, government intervention. 
um, and the desire from some individuals out there in the public to say, hey, they're making the observation that, hey, rent is higher than it used to be. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't have as much money in my bank account as I used to have. And do something about it. Yeah. You know, for the past several weeks, we've been discussing some of the reporting from major news organizations um, about the high high rent prices. We've mentioned the differences between the categories of, af- of affordable housing and of market rate apartments. Yeah. And I think that, it, and we've kind of, we may not have slowed down and really laid out the specific difference, but I think it's worth kind of delineating it right now. And I'm going to give you my idea, and then you can tell me where I'm missing out. Market rate housing in general has a price determined by the market. This category is the bulk of what we cover on the Gray Report. It's a bulk of what we invest in, probably the totality of what we invest in. So not subsidized. Yeah. Yeah. Not affordable. And then affordable housing uh, refers to housing or apartments with a price that is below the market rate. It's supported and subsidized through through the government and nonprofit organizations. And builders and investors in affordable housing will get, um, maybe it's a better loan term, maybe it's some other support from the government. Order. tax credit financing okay, so, or, or tax abatements. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the surprisingly um, affordable, you know, it's all based on percentage of AMI. And so sometimes in areas that What's AMI, AMI? Uh, area median income. Okay. Okay. And so sometimes AM, you know, 80% of AMI can actually above where market rent is sometimes. Yeah. Um, Interesting. That, that deal that's right down the street from us, mm-hmm. you know, because the AMI just in the immediate area is so high, they were allowed their affordable rents could actually be kind of at market or even above. So oh, that wow. sometimes you would assume that affordable rent um, or units that are set aside for whatever percentage of AMI mm-hmm. are going to be cheaper than market. Often is the case, not yeah. always. And so, and and I think the other the other thing to note when you're talking about affordable housing and is like you've got more regulations, you got more rules to follow. Yeah. There's probably rules about you know you have to make sure that you're not turning anyone away. You have to make sure that you're that you're setting the rents at the right price and and all of these and all of these kind of extra rules probably. <laughs> so yeah. you can correct me, but yeah. I'm not an expert yeah. in affordable housing. But I, I, I'm yeah, thinking there's, that a lot, yeah. there's a little more strings attached because they're giving you this money. They're going to ask you for some for some stuff. So the reason why I wanted to differentiate that is because much of this article I think deals with, um, if not purely the uh, affordable affordable housing category, then kind of the tensions between affordable housing and market rate housing, yeah. and sometimes they conflate the two. So. So when you see this, when you see a lot of um, a lot of the critiques that you see in this New York Times article, they're talking about the rents too high, but um, it is largely a government kind of political problem, and um, and the way that they frame it isn't necessarily isn't necessarily that they'll they'll go through the same uh, testimonials and anecdotes and and really tragic stories like we hear a lot. Yeah, that's what um, most, but, most of it is. But the upshot of it is, I think, majority like it's this is political pressure. These protesters yeah. are protesting against uh, policymakers instead of maybe, you know, like fat cat landlords. Although they do talk well, bad about say, landlords. They show, they show up in some landlords ha- yeah. in front of their house. And yeah. I mean, they are city council, you know, tell, telling city council and protesting of, you know, they need to do something. You know, yeah. the, the, rent, the rent's too damn high. But again, it kind of comes back to our... Are they protesting outside of the utility companies that are, you know, really true monopolies mm-hmm. most, most of the time that are, you know, raising prices considerably because commodity prices and inflation, and there are some good reasons um, too, but I would think that, you know, that is, yeah, they have much more, they could have much more influence on, you know, a big line item. And again, one of the reasons why rents are high is because utility prices are going up. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the point is, it's not just utilities, it's not just rent, it's not food, it's not just gasoline, we're in an inflationary environment, 
where prices of everything are going up mm -hmm. and it comes back to this knee-jerk reaction to someone fix it, someone stop it and institute some kind of yeah. regulation or price controls to bring this all in line. But mm -hmm. oftentimes, I mean, price controls just don't work because the whole point of, of markets, it, it's a resource um, allocation mechanism in how to appropriately price goods and services and commodities yep. at an appropriate price. You need a market um, in exchange and a buyer and seller to agree upon a price um, to create that market to determine you know, where that value is. Yeah. And so without that or with influence from an external source of putting a floor of a ceiling on a certain price, the market doesn't have appropriate signals and can have a, a misinterpreted view on where supply and demand is that leads to malinvestment or misinvestment, and you can create much larger compounding problems over time. I agree with that, and I think that I think that some of the implied um, solutions there would lead to lead to a certain amount of like market upheaval. There are some sensible points that they make in this article that are less that have less to do with kind of um, reshaping or, or putting a bandaid on it than than doing some of the stuff that's like okay, this is already in the affordable housing category. I don't I don't really see anything wrong with what with what they're calling for. Yeah, it, it, essentially more funding for affordable housing. Yeah, they're yeah. they're calling for you know having a lawyer present during eviction um, proceedings, and that's like well, all right, okay, that doesn't that doesn't seem that seems fairly sensible. And they're also um they so it's it just to kind of su summarize it. It talks about. They are pairing aggressive protests with traditional lobbying, and it exploded onto the political scene during the pandemic, which has since become instrumental in passing tenant-friendly laws. Um, this this actually chronicles a group, an activist group for affordable housing in Kansas City, and they're talking about how COVID-19 and inflation have tipped smaller cities into an affordability crisis. This has opened the aperture for policies once deemed politically impossible in a wider range of markets. That seems like they're hinting at rent control, but I but they never really that's about as close as they get to it. It's really more about giving providing more resources to affordable housing. One of the one of the big protests that that they cover here that kind of bookend this whole um, article on is a protest in which um, these uh, the city has decided to dedicate more resources to middle income housing than to affordable housing. And so that's kind of the the big disagreement that they that they cover. But I also Which is interesting because oftentimes if you're at the lowest of the kind of economic ladder, there is there's typically more assistance, and then there can be that kind of gap uh, between you know, very low income and yeah. kind of like you're you're right on the edge of where you maybe don't qualify for um, you know affordable housing, but you know the market rate is is a little bit too expensive. So I mean that uh, which it's interesting that um, they don't want to support. Yeah, I, and and again, I don't know what the makeup of this group that they that that is detailed in this article. What they're you know if they're all affordable housing, I'm guessing that that it, they may not be. You know, maybe well, it's I mean, a situation I mean, where I mean, let's be real. I mean, it's not just they want more money for affordable housing. Yeah, I mean, in their the slogans that they're chanting are cancel rent, just can't yeah. cancel rent, mm -hmm. and then another quote you know quote that I I took down here is. Is that you know every eviction is an act of violence? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Um, and essentially, not in, when when you're essentially if you're you know squatting or I mean, you're violating the contract, I mean, your lease, and you're staying there, you're not paying. Um, you know that it's not it's not physical violence, but you know you are misusing someone's pro. You're trespassing at that point, 
which is another form um, of, of violence. So, you know, instead of throwing, you know, words like violence around, I think that that just adds so much emotion onto it. And yep. cancel rent, again, what is the what is the solution? You're, you want to have all private landlords exit the market? You know, how do we provide housing yep. for the 300 or however many, how many, the 400 million people we have in the United States? Yeah. Like there, there's, it's not, they're not reasonable um thoughts see and and that's where i think that the maybe i let some of the some of the cancel rent arguments kind of glance off me but some of them it's the are, same group yeah well and and it's true I, I i think that there is there is a group of governments that are on the left or a group of uh, you know there's a wing of the left wing <laughs> that uh that a kind of thinks all right we need to increase the supply of housing maybe these band-aid solutions like rent controls those aren't going to really go over very well but maybe there's a possibility that affordable housing doesn't meet the appropriate standards maybe they want better better affordable housing or maybe people that qualify for affordable housing aren't getting appropriate housing um those are all problems that are well within the wheelhouse of yeah. existing government programs and and but to institute a policy once deemed impossible that is rent control and i don't think that that's going to fly yeah just to add and they're talking about affordable housing and the the fact that you can't afford housing and that that it is creeping into smaller cities you know what once is in was in new york and san francisco now is in Kansas City. We covered Kansas City last week, and I don't know. I, I feel like Yardy Matrix is a pretty is a pretty credible source. It's just one source though, but they had Kansas City at the bottom of rent to income ratios, meaning that rent is yeah. the cheapest in Kansas City. So this could, you know, further emphasize the point that the New York Times is making that like this is happening everywhere. If it's if it's happening in a city where rent is so cheap, but but it also a little bit, you know, put in put in the context. You know, maybe, yeah, it, it just doesn't square. It, it, a lot of it, a lot of it does not, does not square. And again, it, it's being fueled by emotion, which is, which is totally fine until it starts affecting, you know, other people's rights and the way that we're, you know, again, managing these resources and trying to provide housing to people yeah. that, that need it. And I, I think that the discussion on the housing crisis, the solutions fall into two categories. Um, one that respects our understanding of kind of property rights mm -hmm. and somewhat free markets and one that aims to completely remove property mark uh property rights and uh free markets and just having a market-based system yeah. for housing so i i kept thinking about like all right well if i'm thinking that this is within the wheelhouse of the government and then and the government could address it that is saying that like well i i would have to be as a citizen kind of uh prepared to Swallow a little bit higher taxes, and it's interesting. I was kind of rolling that around in my head. I was as I was reading the article. And then I read uh, an opinion that jibes with mine. I felt like kind of a fat cat because this the guy with the clearest head uh, on this. Looks like I felt like this huge capitalist. But that's what this. That's what the best idea in this in this whole article comes from. Um, Eli Unger, the founder of Mac Properties, which is based in Inglewood, uh, New Jersey, and owns about nine thousand apartments. Um, he said that the cost of development is now so high that the most reliable way to make money is by building apartments for tenants uh, who regard the, co the cost of rent as a matter of curiosity. So where people are making money right now is not necessarily building affordable housing, it's building market rate housing. 
Um, yeah. He says that it it does leave groups behind, but he but and he says the folks who see themselves as middle class and are feeling increased worry and pressure as rents grow up faster than incomes, and the people who are vulnerable in our, in our society and desperately need housing that no developer can provide without a massive subsidy, those are the big people that are affected. Maybe yeah. on the lower end of the middle class, and then in in kind of the lower class where we're just not building those. And he said. As a citizen, I would be entirely comfortable with my taxes being higher to provide well-maintained housing for those who can't afford it. The question is, how is that going to be achieved? And um, and market rate developers are not unilaterally going to say, I'm going to reduce my income to achieve this goal. Basically, I think it's like create the conditions where people will fill in and do that. Maybe not. Maybe yeah. don't well, create the, the effect. The, the, there's a lot of in, um, options in the middle there, too, which happens a lot um, is that, you know, to encourage um development and to get the proper you know zoning and approvals you developers have to set aside i mean most of the new not all but a lot most a lot of the new developments that are built today at least in indianapolis and a lot of the markets i'm familiar with um there is there are units that are set aside for individuals um there are some affordable units Mm, that are set aside for individuals that are making a certain percentage of ami typically six percent or or eighty percent of the area median income and often those developers will receive tax abatements on that property uh, for doing that. Okay. So we're going to we're going to give you give you an abatement. You're not going to have to pay your full tax boat for, you know, 10 years as long as you set aside, you know, 20% of the units for mm-hmm. individuals making, you know, only 80% uh, or below of of AMI. Um and then you know, that's going to burn off. That tax abatement's going to burn off over 10 years. And people say, first say they're not paying taxes. There are still plenty of tax being paid, personal property tax. The yeah. tax payment doesn't always cover the full tax amount. But then you have an asset that is going to be paying taxes in 10 years. You're providing affordable housing. Yeah. So you still, it's not like you're decreasing, um, you know, the, 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 the tax base, you know, yeah. because you are adding that um, eventually and you're getting the community is getting something out of it. Yeah. So there are, solu- there are plenty of solutions like that that are happening all the time. We just need to do a lot, a lot, a lot more of it. But if you do anything to discourage development, because the other mm-hmm. is on one side is like, yeah, it's true. You can't build a B class or C class apartment, you know, mark a rate and make a cash flow. I mean, it costs too much. It, mm-hmm. The cost to build um, a, an apartment building is the same, whether it's C or yeah. A. The yeah. difference is, you know, finishes, which are a, a fraction of the cost of the building. So it's still going to cost just throwing rough numbers, it's, let's say it's going to cost anywhere between one hundred and eighty and two hundred thousand dollars per unit to build. Mm-hmm. You might as well spend, you know, closer to that two hundred thousand and charge us and have nicer finishes. Yeah. So instead of charging a thousand dollars a month, you can charge two thousand dollars a month because your value is going to be so much higher. Mm-hmm. Why? Why would you, you know, put in the cheaper carpet that is marginal when you could get a much higher rent of just having you finishing it out a little bit nicer? Yeah. So. But on the long term, you have to have that high-end luxury product because it adds supply and that those Class A assets. You can't build Class B today without subsidies, mm-hmm. but that Class A in 10 years becomes Class B. Yeah. It's, we have to be de- developing the luxury assets today that become just the regular B-class apartment and C-class apartments forever, for other individuals you know, down the line. So we have to be thinking into the future, and that's why markets like California – um, in New York, where just especially California, where they sort of haven't been able to build that much. Mm-hmm. Now, decades later, we're seeing these problems creep up, and it's you know it takes so much effort and so much building and time 
um, to get back on top of it. So it's like, yeah, maybe we're not building, we're not, we're, we're building for now, but we're also building for the next decade or yeah. two. And we just need to build whatever we can, any type of housing units, you know, now, and even if it's not the right set in right, not the right product type for the incomes, we still need to build, but then also find a way because we do have immediate problems that we can't wait a decade or two. Yeah. What are those solutions that are in the middle? That's tough because yeah. the lag, you know, we need affordable housing now and to, to have to wait that 10 years, you can't build an older building and, no. and make a new, you exactly. can't build a new one. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's incredibly, incredibly tough. Yeah. Um, Matt, any more points on this New York time piece? I mean, because the, the, to me, what I, my big takeaway is that there is um, for just frustration out there yeah. in the public and people yes. are screaming for solutions and a lot of people feel like they're being squeezed and things are expensive yes. and rent is something that everyone has in common. It's a big chunk of their paycheck mm -hmm. um, and it's something that they feel like that, you know, they, you know, should be able to maybe get a little bit more control over and yep. it's um, and they want somebody to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And again, like depending on what your perspective is and what trends you're following, you can really lead yourself down a logical road that may not be valid yeah. if you're going on old data. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Now, again, excellent dovetail, Matt. Kind of explains why one of the reasons why rent is high, and it's another it's a market mechanism of being able to appropriately price your rentals. And so there was a big piece on the ProPublica put out. Um, not exactly a conservative um, outlet, um, but it's you know rent going up. One company's algorithm could be why it is. It's essentially, it's essentially a um, I don't know. It's a hatchet job, but I mean, it's basically it's basically calling out RealPage's YieldStar, mm -hmm. which is the um, revenue management software and system that helps property managers set their rents on a daily basis based upon comparable properties in the market and day-by-day -day supply and demand metrics. Yep. Matt, why is that a bad thing? It seems like it'd be a more efficient market. So this is what, and I think that this is their argument. So let's say every landlord in the square, in you know a square mile or maybe just like a half mile, whatever, every landlord in the same area has the same rental management system. And that software is telling them, is now has control of that whole market. So it's going to say, let's all bump prices up. There's no going to be no competition that wants it. There's no limit. It could just keep going up and up forever mm. because it owns that. So that's, that is the, I think, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to represent this accurately and maybe I can get a mean email, but I yeah. think that's the, the underlying argument. And I, I don't think that it accounts for exactly the, the specific makeup of, there, you know, there's more than one rental management system and there's more and and landlords don't, you know, they don't take their hands off completely when it comes to uh, when it comes to rents. And these rental management uh, systems themselves, they're not evil. They're just they're just programs. The machine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's really the emotion that's being taken out of it. I think the biggest effect here I mean, that I've seen and because these types of algorithms and software have been around for about a decade or so, but they've their use has been growing dramatically over the past couple of years without yeah. a doubt. What's really going on here is we're taking the emotion out of the equation where in the past we've had an individual, a human being, I'm a property manager that's setting rents on a daily basis mm -hmm. or often on a monthly or quarterly basis. Um, and that person ha often has a relationship with that tenant base. 
um, the, the algorithm doesn't have a relationship with anybody. It's just looking at numbers and yeah. data coming in. Um, the property manager may not be on top of understanding where the comps are. They may not have the right set of comps. They not, might not be calling out to seeing where prices have moved. And then when they're going through and looking at the renewal rates, they may say, well, and this is what has happened in the past you know, decades or so, is that you know, you know, up for renewal, you know, $15 increase, not mm -hmm. $25 increase. That, that was kind of the standard. Um, our market rents, well, we haven't changed. Maybe we'll increase our market rent, our rents by $25 this year because that, that seems good and that, that works for our budget. Not really doing a detailed analysis of where the market is. And even if they did, they would feel hesitant to bring those rents to market because, again, they are going to be looking those uh, prospects and current residents in the eye and they've made that decision to raise the rent. This takes that decision, again, out of their hands. Now, again, they, they can not go along with the rent increase. You know, it's just a suggestion. They don't have to go forward with it. But it's no longer like them picking the number. It's like, well, you know, Yieldstar is telling me that the rent should be 1800 I know that you were paying $1,500, but the market's at $1,800 right now. There is a place for, for emotion and for kind of, of, of humanity. When you're dealing with rent, when you're dealing with people's homes, it is like a very emotional a very emotional topic. I think that renewals is a little bit more dicey. Like I think that you can, you know, you can really work work out with people. You yeah. know, you oh, know, yeah. to, if there's some residents you want to keep. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so that I, yeah. I could see, I could definitely see it there. But when it comes to market rates, if people pay for it, then then that's it, right? Like if it was an apple that was ten dollars, then um, and no one buys it. It's gonna be eight dollars well, maybe exactly. tomorrow. That's what the market is there for. Is that like they're like people will accept a price or they won't accept a price. And, yeah. And then you just because you put a price out there doesn't mean that the market will accept it and it will should it, you'll decrease and find where where the market is. Yeah. And and that's what the software is intended are intended to do. It's not just to just keep pushing rents to push rents. It's to figure out where the market is and to make sure you're not leaving money on the table and you're not charging $800 and you be, should be charging $825 or $850 or, or, or whatever the whatever the amount is. Yeah, I did some lazy Googling and I was like, well, what, what do I, – maybe – I could be wrong, but I, I'm sure gas stations – you know, have have like this software that, that does this for it and sets the price well, and like exa well exactly. Do you think that a gas station owner shows up to work one day and be like, Well, this is my cost with the gasoline, but people are having uh, a really hard time. Yeah, people are having a hard time out there. Yeah. I just you know, I, I should increase you know, it should be five dollars, but it's four seventy five today. Yeah. Like that doesn't because it's a it's a business, right? And what why the the market is what the market is. Yeah. And how market rate housing, again, market rate is like the key differentiator, yeah. is that it is what the market is. And again, it comes back to um, the proponents of rent control. It, it's they don't like the, the concept that, that the housing market is a market-based system at all. They think that it should not be a commodity or relative commodity. They think it should be a public, uh, a public good. Yeah. And and so people may think that when I keep coming back to this, maybe extreme conclusion or kind of the eventual eventual logical conclusion of where mm -hmm. it's going. But we have, if we don't kind of parse what they're actually saying and where they're actually going, we're going to be pa talking past each other. Because if you're not looking yeah. for, a, if you're not looking for a market-based solution, well, that's a, a completely different discussion than 
chipping away at the edges and well, adding they, regulations. Yes, yeah, because if they're trying for a solution, it's not a market, and, and they're trying to inject it into the market. No, the only the only way some of these solutions will work is if we revamp the entire system um, so yeah. that it's not market based. Um, I I also think that like. The real key that I was kind of hinting at before when I was talking about getting the right data and, and coming from the right perspective, um, one, yes, I think that there's a lot there. Uh, there's a lot of discussion. You know, when are we talking about affordable housing? We're talking about market rate, yeah. but also rents are going down. Rents are you know seasonal downturn, moderating, normalizing, whatever. You, we're reacting to the 2021 um, heights with a little bit uh, a, a little bit lower demand now. Um, but the fact of the matter is. They are painting the picture of a reality that is in the past. Um, I think that they're getting CPI numbers, maybe, and, and using that to to justify their uh, uh, you know their portrait of a of a market that is steadily going up and up and up. But the fact is, yeah. these programs, these faceless evil programs, you know, created by evil executives in smoky rooms or maybe open air conferences, um, but they are choosing to lower the rents. Why would they do that? Why would they, if it doesn't make, they're not making a profit. They got that monopoly. Why are they doing that? And I think it's because they do respond to broader market forces and, um, and it's, and they aren't these systems of automatic monopolistic grow, 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 grow. So, yeah. Well, again, yeah. It, well, it cuts both ways. Yeah. You know, it, it, it sees where the, where the demand is and where leases are in what supply is. Mm -hmm. And if there's not a lot of demand and if there's a lot of supply, then prices are going to go down. Yeah. And it, again, people might not like where the market is, but you know, the market is what the market is. Now, the biggest issue with, um, you know, rent revenue optimization, lease rent optimization, yield star, whatever the program is, um, is that it's garbage in and, and garbage in, garbage out. You know, if you have the wrong inputs uh, mm -hmm. plugged into your alg plugged into YieldStar, if you've if you've got the wrong comps, um, and sometimes the market can be too small, you just don't have enough inputs in general. It can be thrown out, you know, bogus information. Yeah. Um. So it, it's it's definitely not perfect, and it does require a human to kind of oversee it to make sure that it's got the right inputs, the outputs make sense, you're within line. Um. But yeah, it's if. Prices are going down. The prices are going down, and yeah. they will go down f quicker using an LRO, Yield Star, whatever. Yeah. Than if if an apartment manager has a, a property manager is the one manually doing it, because mm -hmm. um, they may for, for right now they the rents could be maintained higher because they were looking at the demand back in a couple months ago, not realizing demand has fallen off. They're like, well, our rents are still you know but. Well, I don't want to decrease the rents right now. We just increased them. Yeah. But they're not looking at, you know, day by day, real time information. There is a subtle point in, in, you know, keeping the human involved with when it comes to renewals. Like if you are already moved in somewhere, it's it's kind of hard to move out if if you're, you know, if the renewal rate is increased by an exorbitant amount. Um, but if you are just deciding on where to live there are, you know, you have a little bit more choice there. And, um, and I think that the consumer still has some power and it's not like these robots are, are ruining our lives, but maybe I'm pro robot. And that's, that's gross. <laughs> well, and, and again, it's like, it comes down to, you know, it's just making the rental market that much more efficient yeah. and, you know, our efficient markets, um, are usually good for like the end consumer usually yeah. at the end of the day. Um, but, Obviously, and I and I mentioned that, you know, I, I did an interview or I was on a panel for the Indianapolis Business Journal on commercial real estate oh, yeah. and talking about what technology is, is changing. And I mentioned this type of software as being as driving rents and being closer to market. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's not going to be adopted less and less. It's only going to, this yeah. is where we are. And, and I don't see how, um, you know, the genie's not being put back in the bottle. Yeah. Um, again, because if you think about other markets that have any kind of price prediction, any type of forecasting, everyone's using forecasting and trying to figure out, you know, what the right price is at a given time. Yeah. I, tr- I contacted the, uh, the author of this piece, but that, but they, I offered them a chance to appear on, on our program. Did not give a, provide a comment by the time. Did not of provide airing. a comment by the time of airing, unfortunately. Um, but I do want to note, and maybe, maybe real page would, uh, appreciates the idea that they're the only ones with rental management software. Um, despite the fact that well, this not, is like a hatchet not. job, but they're not there. There are, there are a whole slew of, of other companies that are having rental, rental, so, so it is not the monopoly that it seems here. Calling it a mysterious algorithm also conveys the idea that only one company might have it, but there's a lot of companies that are doing this. So. Yeah, no, Yieldstar is definitely the predominant LRO revenue management mm-hmm. software, which is different from the property real page property management software. That's like a separate mm-hmm. pod product that you can use Yieldstar with real page, but you can use oh. Yieldstar, I believe, with other types of property management systems as well. So it's like okay. it's just a it's a real page product in real pages, you know, world of offerings for, you know, commercial real estate, residential real estate. But they know they don't have a monopoly. Now, if you were talking about monopolies in real estate and moving prices information, you could look at a, you know, a CoStar group. Um, which, you know, has yep. you know, owns CoStar, Apartments.com, LoopNet, you know, 10X and a bunch of other, um, you know, apartment commercial real estate related kind of services and websites. And, yeah. But even then, I, I, they're not they're not the only one. I mean, there, there's a handful mm-hmm. of other services that provide somewhat similar um, you know, data yep. and, and services. Um, so, again, I think this is this the New York Times piece. Um, it, it's, it's two sides of the, of, well, it's not two sides of the same coin, but it, there, it's basically, it is underlining the frustration that many people have with this inflationary environment. Yeah. It's searching, you know, it's searching to plug the hole in the dike rather than maybe like building, building a better one in the first place. Exactly. It's like, you know, putting the bandaid on instead of, instead of looking back and creating the systems that are, and again, like you said, it could be, it could take some time because there's so much of a lag between building it and, and the supply coming. Yeah. And I don't even know if it's putting the band in. It's like, it's like, it's like putting some like numbing cream on there. That's yeah. got like, you, like you still have like the open wound. It but feels like you better. Can't, you can't feel it anymore <laughs> for like, like five, like 10 minutes. Yeah. I something. like that. That's good. <laughs> um, it's a weird, weird analogy, but, um, <clears throat> okay. Well, let's talk about, uh, birth rates, Matt. It's a little for, bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is all. I don't know. It's frustrating. And because here, here's, here's the, let's bookend it with this. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like you and me, Matt, you know, we're just two heartless, um, you know, ruthless, you know, greedy money making capitalists that don't yeah, care robots. about people. Yeah. Robot. Yeah. Robots. And we, we, like we, we do care and you know, we're, 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 we just brought property management in house recently. You know, we have a deep, you know, uh, feel a deep responsibility to our residents and, and tenants and future residents and tenants. And, you know, we don't want anyone to be, you know, overly burdened. You know, that's yeah. why we you know, have strong criteria to rent. Because we don't want anyone to live somewhere where they can't afford. Yeah. At the same time, we're seeing expenses go up across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our, our revenues way, way up. Expenses way, 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 way up. Yeah. You know, we're not, we're, we're not, it, it's, it's tough. I mean, pay, we're paying people more utilities are up. Your property taxes are up mm-hmm. uh, materials. Everything is more expensive. 
Um, and so sure we feel like we've raised rents quite a bit, but then when we look at where expenses have gone, it's not as though we're just lining our pockets of cash every day and at the expense of the people that are living in our communities. Yeah. Um, It's a, it's a universal issue that we're all dealing with, with higher prices. And again, a lot of this, um, there was created by the governments that those that are burdened are asking them to come fix the problem again. Yeah. There, I remember this is about a year ago. There was an article that, that said, you know, operating these apartments and investing in these apartments are, are, you know, what we're doing basically is as, as an operator, it is not a passive income. It is a marginal income, yeah. which, which means, you know, you constantly have to work at it to keep these things running. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, operating costs and all that kind of stuff. And it doesn't just magically run by itself. If it did, that'd be great. But uh, yeah. but it's not. No, no, it does not. All right, let's get into this, Matt, um, because the National Bureau of Economic Research put out a, um, a working paper recently um, that that I think that surprised a lot of people mm-hmm. um, because this was kind of the opposite of the narrative that we've heard for from quite some time. But this is recent, just came out in October. Um, the title is The COVID-19 Baby Bump, the Unexpected Increase in U.S. Fertility Rates in Response to the Pandemic. Now, there are some anecdotes that I think that we were saying earlier. Yep. They're like, I bet there is going to be, be, a, be a baby bump because people are at home, not doing anything. Millennials are getting out of that age where they're thinking about having kids, but like it just wasn't showing up. People yeah. weren't having kids, weren't having kids. And so people then thought, oh, no. I think you think they just got tired of waiting. Yeah, yeah. They put I, it off long enough. Well, and that's funny because, yeah, we did. We, we expected maybe a baby, a little baby boom. And then the we were opposite. like, oh, no, there isn't. There clearly isn't. And then now we're finding out, well, maybe there is. But the broader context of it was something that I've been worried about um, for, 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 for a few years and, and really is the kind of um, dark mirror, mirrors a, or whatever, <laughs> the dark reverse or inverse of this affordability crisis is the idea, you know, that population's going down. Um, specifically, this article says on the outset between tw- 2007 and 2020, um, the uh, a total U.S. Fer- the total U.S. fertility rate, which is a measure of the average number of children expected over a woman's lifetime, it declined from 2.1 to 1.6, setting new records for historic lows and prompting uh, widespread concerns about the future of the American family, the strength of the labor force, and the solvency of public programs that rely on the contributions of younger generations. Um, I think the mar- multifamily market benefits from household growth and population yeah. growth, um, but there are other more fundamental reasons why this is important. Our whole economy is set up under the assumption that there's going to be a rolling treadmill of people and yeah. consumers, whether they're you know eating baby food or where there's a originals there's always people down the line and when that dries up then plans go uh, plans go wrong yeah um so i and, and i think it's immediately seen you know for for me at least it's like you got to have more people more people to live in the apartments but you got to have more people eating apples too um so it's so there there's it, it it reaches into every area of the economy um and it is something that that i've been thinking about you know what if what and I'll just be specific. Uh, what if we build so much to alleviate the affordable housing crisis, but then due to low uh, fertility rates, low population growth, we suddenly have way more apartments that the wave kind of crests, yeah. and then when we're on the other side of it, it really screws a lot of people over. Yeah, yeah, that absolutely could be a concern. Yeah, low population growth and negative population growth is, I mean, not just for the housing industry, but for an economy as a whole. I mean, look at um, other developed countries with kind of negative population growths, um, aging populations. 
I'm thinking about like a Japan or like much of Europe. Yeah. I mean, it requires massive, massive government um, central bank intervention to kind of keep the Japanese economy um, pushing along. Yeah. And um, there's all kinds of other societal um, and dependency issues that, that are that are created when you just don't have um, that many you know, younger people or aren't having kids anymore. Yeah. And specifically when it comes to the numbers, so it says 1.6 was this uh, fertility rate that we're at now. And, and 2.1, which is where we started in 2007, 2.1 is the kind of replacement mm-hmm. rate of, of fertility. If you keep That's that- That's what you need to be at two. Then yeah. <laughs> then we're, but uh, 2.1 is like where, you know, it all kind of evens out. And uh, and we're well below that at 1.6, but we make up for it with immigration, and that's why you know stricter immigration. If if we cut that faucet off, we will not be able to. You know, we'll start our population will start decreasing very fast. Yeah. And another thing that's that's really interesting is that, um, and and you can see this on these charts right here, actually, right yeah. um, is is population growth for um, U.S. born. Uh, U.S. born women or is was much higher than for foreign born women. Foreign born women that you know it's their first it's their first they were born somewhere else they move into U.S. and they tend to have a lot more children than um than U.S. born women. But the U.S. born women are uh, are outpacing that. I mean, you just look at this. I mean, trend reversal. I mean, it's been going down, 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 down. And I mean, that's a that's a big deviation from the trend. And that's kind of across the board. When we look at a lot of these graphs is that a, you know, a big jump uh, percent deviation from trend among U.S. born women. I mean, it's a um, it's quite quite a bit. I and mean, we're looking at a five, basically a five percent deviation from trend. Um, which had been basically in kind of as a call it a one percent, you know, standard deviation range or so. Um, pandemic it went down because no one was doing anything. But man, now what I'm I'm curious about is because we've we've talked about this and of how same reason why things slowed down in the pandemic. Um, people don't want to make any big decisions when yeah. there's like economic uncertainty out there. Now, there's we had in 2021 people were excited it's like all right we're mm-hmm. back in the roaring 20s maybe things are going to be good anymore people are much more confident about the future yeah the last year in 2021 their their stock portfolio 401k you know they're 30 percent wealthier than they were you mm-hmm. know, 2019 or whatever uh, not the case necessary today same questions of economic uncertainty global mm-hmm. recession inflation um i'm curious if we're seeing the Birth the the baby bump right now is more of a product of twenty one. If we're going to see yep. a swing back equation. down, yeah. Um, but how transient, how temporary will that be in these movements? And will we continue on this trend breakout? Um, you know, where it may be in twenty twenty three. Once we get through whatever turbulence that we have to get through over the next couple of months, however long it will last, I think you know, by the, in my mind, near the end of next year, kind of, I'm, I'm thinking like August 23, things are going to start looking pretty good again, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, <laughs> um, uh, it's people have start having babies anymore, or is this a demog- is this just demographics in, because here's the reality, you've got a lot of women that are in their early thirties mm-hmm. and they are thinking, or they're being told by their friends or their moms and parents and whoever that like you got a ticking ticking clock on in order to have kids mm-hmm. um especially you know for the health of yourself the health of the mother health of the child like becomes more difficult to have kids as you get older mm-hmm. and i think that most women are acutely aware of that and there's a 
the median age right now uh, of a person in the United States right now, I think it's 33. You're getting to the point where if you're going to have kids, like it's time to start, you know, having kids. People have been putting off that decision longer and longer and longer. But again, you've got this avalanche of individuals who are just, I'm going to have kids. I need to have kids now. Yeah. Who knows if the times are right. And never seems like the right time to have kids. I mean, like you never, you can't take a spreadsheet out and, I mean, this is classic, you know, yeah. in the Parks and Rec episode. You can't be like, oh, I, I'm, I'm budgeting for my child. How am I going to afford it? I can't have a mm-hmm. kid. Like, that's not how it oh, works. Yeah. yeah. People across the developing world have mm-hmm. children all of the time yeah. and are able to t- care for them most of the time, hopefully. And you're able to figure out. That's the whole thing about having kids. You figure it out. Maybe you change the way you do things in life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no type of incentive and motivation like, you know, having a child or bringing a kid into the world. Like, you yeah. know, you, you think about things differently, but you're no longer just thinking about yourself or your partner, your responsibility, the way you view the world just changes and people just figure it out. Yeah. One of the interesting things about this is for as messy as household formation and population growth is um, and kind of inscrutable in some in so many ways is that there are it, it seems like there's some cause and effect like um for instance, the, these foreign, foreign-born women, their the decrease in their fertility rate. They're arguing in this working paper that it was caused because because you know this is when we were locking down, and it is when we were kind of preventing people from going to different mm. countries and stuff. Yeah. And so that's really kind of locking them in and wait and see mode. And then on the other hand, white college-educated women um, were having a lot more kids. Specifically, college-educated women were having a lot more kids. Because they felt like, okay, this is safe. You know, it is almost, I think, yeah, it is an optimistic, yeah. uh, if anything, is an optimistic action and decision yeah. is to have yeah. kids. It's true. And, um, and they are really connecting it to remote working. And, and I don't know if this is borrowing from the future or if this is finally releasing, you know, the uh, the decision yeah. that multiple yeah. people had yeah, from beforehand. But, but I'd like to think that maybe, you know, maybe continued remote work will create a situation in which, in general, going forward, yeah. where more women will have kids because – like okay, now I can work. I can my, I can have my I can watch my kid. I can be at home. Maybe it becomes an easier situation for a lot of people. And going forward, it will probably at the margins, but maybe we'll see population growth as a result of remote work. That that's my hot take. But yeah. uh, I, you know, I, yeah, it's going to be interesting because, and I think not to get into the whole uh, work from home discussion, but you that question of it's like, you can you work from home and take care of your kids at the same time? It's, really. it's not enough, <laughs> um, but but you pro you know if it comes with like flexible fle- hours, fle- yeah. exactly, exactly. It's a flexibility I, I think is important. Um, just real quick, just because I just I just found the graph. Um, looking at kind of ages, we're talking about millennials. Mm-hmm. It's just looking at like a divide divergence between ages. Looking at ages twenty five to twenty nine, and then thirty to thirty four. Um, they were kind of pretty much kind of aligned, you know, sort of. Um, actually, there, there was a higher birth rate for younger kids, 25 to 29, mm-hmm. back in 2015, 2016, kind of had a parity in 2018, 2019. And then it, it really happened before the pandemic. And again, like a lot of these trends, whether it's a move to the suburbs, yeah, um, a handful of other trends, this happened before the pandemic. And then, the, then eventually it accelerated. Where it was still along the trend line that, uh, for the 30 through 34 individuals in terms of the birth rate, the 25 through 29 really plummeted way down and has pretty much stayed, below, you know, really kind of stayed um, below the original trend. It's on a new trend now, but the 30 through 34 has completely broken out. 
um, completely broken out um, yeah. um, compared to um, the trend. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's like you get in these situations where finally, you know, you can kind of handle this. And uh, and and then, yeah, that and, and I would say that that if you're 20 to 25, you're not you're not as sure of your professional, you know, of your professional trajectory as as someone from, yeah. from 30 to 34. And maybe from 20, 20, 25 to 29, you're less likely to, to remote work, although, you know, that's. Who knows? Who knows? Um, so I think this is something that we're going to have to continue to um, track map mm-hmm. um, to see if this breakout continues, if we're seeing a true uh, baby boom, COVID, millennials, whatever, yeah. whatever the cause, whatever the effect, whatever. Will this continue? Because not only could this um, change the assumption some of the assumptions that we have been making over the long-term prospects not just for real estate but for the u.s economy as a whole yeah. and future gdp growth um this could be a complete new assumption um variable assumption change for a lot of models over yeah. the future also inflation because when you have kids you spend a lot more money on stuff yeah well and you're talking about like if we really are seeing in the midst of the greatest wealth transfer in history then um then that could play a fact, it you know, could, it definitely factor into yeah. the, to this equation. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be very interested to see if this, if this sticks because, uh, I don't like the, you know, what, it, what was it, what's so different about 2007 and now that people are having so much less kids. Um, I, I, we were getting in the reset, you know, this recession kept, you know, I, people lived through that. That's 15 years of continual kind of desperation and then finally, we're kind of starting to peek our heads in 2018 a little bit, and and now and and now we're out, and and that's and you know maybe we see that in birth rate. There's a yeah. general a general optimism apart from the Great Recession, and maybe from from 2023 recession, but I don't know. Twenty. I, I when do you, when I think I think the recession they'll probably say the recession started in September, maybe August, probably September, mm-hmm. and and. I don't know when it's going to go through. I don't, I don't know, but I think it's going to be early spring, early summer when we, we get out of it, but it's not going to, it's, we're not going to feel like we're out of it until yeah. like August. Yeah. Yeah. Or I, September. It is. That is funny. That like, and that's like a, that's a, that's, that's like my, my gut of mm-hmm. all the inputs in my brain. That's what it spit out. And I can't tell you I don't have any math. Well, and, and that is, that is actually a really good point is like the feeling of recession and the kind of perception of recession that that flowed for a decade after the great recession. And certainly it's going to, it's not going to completely just turn off right after, you know, I just see too many, I mean, things are all screwed up and, and what I'm major, I'm concerned about is the kind of the structural underpinnings of like the financial system of the Mm -hmm. things we can't see and that just like cause like a, um, a domino effect that yeah. just like just absolutely screws liquidity that just things fail because of just the financial financial systems. Um, but like when I turn, when I look at like the real economy, um, when I look at employment, mm-hmm. um, when I look at just the way that the economy is moving, I'm, I'm relatively op- optimistic. Yeah. Um, I think that we're getting supply chain issues figured out. Um, I mean, we'll see what happens with, you know, the war in Ukraine and everything else. But to me, people are trying to move past the pandemic mm-hmm. and are trying to move forward. Yeah. And I think that that desire to move forward will carry carry us through. And mm-hmm. again, that's like a total emotional um, thought. 
um, and total anecdote. You know, but. And, and again, like I don't, I, I did not live through the, uh, through the high inflation of the, you know, seventies no. and eighties, but, um, but man, it does seem a lot different than the great recession. There was this pivotal moment that really destroyed so much wealth in, in during, yeah. you know, during the, the financial crisis and yes, the pandemic happened, but, but people don't feel like poor, like they did in, into the, yes, they, there are certain people that were really devastated by the pandemic. Well, people haven't but, lost their jobs wholesale. Yeah. I mean, like they, they have less money to, they, they, it appears like they may have much less money to spend because their grocery bill is higher. They're filling up their gas tank and their rent checks more, but their income's also gone up a little bit, but they still have a job. Mm-hmm. Um, the only people that have been really losing jobs recently are very high paid um, folks working in tech. Yeah. Like, like those, that, those are the businesses that have seen the layoffs, but like, you know, only feels so bad for you know the software engineer at Google that's making half a million dollars a year. Yeah. Like, yeah, and again, like there are people. You know, yes, there are people that have lost a lot of money that you know may have lost their job. They do feel poor, justifiably so. But like on the whole, you're not seeing underwater mortgages. You're not seeing people's wealth just just kind of slip from out from under them. So um, I'd like to think that we're on much better footing it's, it's than the, we were. It's the it's the rhetoric, and yeah. and part and sometimes I wonder when you hear Jamie Dimon and you know some of these other you know very large influential um, kind of financial people from the finance world mm-hmm. um, talking about doom and gloom and what what sure it's prudent and you'd much rather be the one saying like batting down the hatches rather than yeah, like you all sound pretty smart, good. don't you? yeah you yeah. sound smart and then you, you sound conservative everyone wants yeah. to sound like my conservative mm-hmm. underwriting everyone's everyone's yeah. conservative um it, it, it what reminds me is um when bill ackman came on uh, cnbc mm-hmm. back in Mar- was it march 20 no, no no sorry april 20 you know early on in the pandemic yeah and basically came on and said I am living in a cabin out in the woods because yeah. like the world is like absolutely going to like, you know, I have to, I'm going to have to call that up on, you YouTube. know, it's, it's absolutely going to, you know, shut, shut down, which, which it did. And it's going to be horrible forever or mm-hmm. for a long period of time. I mean, he went on a, I remember listening to it live. I was, I remember I was in my truck and, yeah. and he went on for like 20, 30 minutes <sighs> and everyone was just like jaws are just dropped. Yeah. And what did he do? He had, he un after, in the coming days, mm-hmm. since he had a massive short position, he unwound his short position, made I forget how many billions of dollars, and then bought back into the market. Yeah, yeah. So just keep all that in mind is that, you know, I don't think we're at the trough yet. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the floor could fall out for a period of time. I think we're probably going to get on the escalator right back after that. Yeah. Um, but just take every when someone's isn't making any declarative statements of doom and gloom or all is fine mm-hmm. take it with you know hefty grain of salt yeah yeah it's what makes these interesting times it is <laughs> it's exci- it's exciting because like we've talked yeah. about the time there's going to be huge opportunities mm-hmm. um you can also get run over mm-hmm. yeah um so it's a high risk high reward scenario um but masses amounts of wealth are, are going to be created yeah I agree. I think things are starting to grow. Population, economy. Let's hope for growth. At, I mean, I was at looking, some point in twenty twenty three. I was. It's not on the report today. Maybe we can send it over to to include. But I was looking at a lot of the ISM and, um, surveys and indexes, like hmm. the manufacturing index and service and service industries and hospitals. Things have bottomed out, but they are actually they've turned around as of recent. Hmm. Seasonally, they shouldn't necessarily be, but things are actually 
they have been very bad the last couple of months. Yeah. But there is some evidence to suggest that we are bottoming out or near a bottom. Oh, um, special message to the Fed. I did read an article that said you don't have to raise rates. So, oh, we're good. It was, just, it was a good article. <laughs> it, well, it's basically saying that a lot of the effects of the Fed, of Fed's rate increases, they're still yet to be felt. Yeah. And so um, they're going to be very tempted to raise rates. They probably will. Um, but, you know, there is an argument that's out there. I let, At least one person was brave enough to write an article to dare suggest that maybe we should just just like coast. Oh, I've heard. Yeah, no, a lot of plenty okay. of people are saying I, I've heard a lot of people saying that not necessarily the Fed, um, but no, I think it's going to be 75 basis points, November 25 and December. Great. And then they're kind of at where their their target is. Yeah. Um, but let's let's see what happens to CPI. Um, and uh, again, once I, it'll, let's see. Yeah, let's see where it comes yeah. in because they're not even using the right numbers, but we'll we'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, this is a, this is a fun. This is this is a good this time, Matt. Um, so politics, multifamily <laughs> and big picture stuff today. Not exactly getting into the weeds, but I think that's what makes the degree report a little bit different from your other, you know, um, pull them out of a hat uh, multifamily podcast, which is which are great. I love watching of, you know, Matt, how do you get started? Tell us about a deal and which, yeah. is, which is all good stuff. You know, what do you like to do? And um, that's fun. But I think this is really important. You got to you got to have your peripheral. You know, head, oh, head totally. on a swivel to understand what's going on in an economy like this. If you're actually in the market making investment decisions, if you're just like curious, because it's a fun thing, good stuff too. But like, we're we're here to make some decisions, that, take I, risk, and calculate risk. Yeah, and that's what I really like about um, apartment kind of housing in general. Is it it feeds into so much, mm-hmm. so much is like the bedrock of the economy that you know that it reacts and is reactive to um, housing. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a great, and, great industry. And I think what we do here, you, you, uniquely at the on the gray report, Matt, is that you know, again we're we're in the middle of it all. You know, mm-hmm. we're not just we're not on the sidelines reporting. You know, just these articles and you know what we hear out there and talking to people. You know, yeah, we're doing all that, but we're also in, we're also doing it ourselves. Yep. You know, we're we've got. I mean, I'm just. You know, we're going to be transacting, you know, hundred million dollars worth of real estate over the next, uh, you know, couple months, and um, you know, we do that on a regular basis, mm-hmm. and you know, we're in contact with brokers, lenders, brokers, buyers, sellers on a on a daily basis, and so we've yeah. got a lot of again, all that's anecdotes, um, but it's also real time information. We can cross reference with what the the data is showing from a lot of the research institutions out there. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to make these. We got to make these decisions. We can't just say them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We're using this information to make real time decisions, and this is why one of the reasons why we do it because we need to stay up to date. Yeah. Investors exactly. need to do the same thing. Um, so make sure you're subscribed to the Great Capital YouTube channel. Um, wherever your podcast, you can download, this, listen to it as a podcast as well. If you are an accredited investor, you're interested um, in hopping on a deal with the Gray Capital team, just go on to gray.fund, learn more about the Gray Fund. We're going to have um, five multifamily assets, great markets, um, stable Midwestern opportunities, uh, mostly A-class. we got a couple of B-class deals in there as well. Yeah, again, hop on over to gray.fund, schedule a meeting with the team. We'd love to have a conversation with you, learn about what you're trying to do with real estate and see if it's a good fit. Matt, great report this week. Everyone have a great rest of your week and see you in the next episode of The Great Report.